Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10, 5, victory! Cowboys win! This is Love of the Star. The Star. The Star. Welcome to the Love of the Star podcast presented by Odyssey. I'm Bobby Belt from 105.3 The Fan, joined by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout Brian Broaddus. Also, you can hear him on 105.3 The Fan with the G-Bag Nation Monday through Friday, 2 to 7. Uh, Brian, how you doing? Doing excellent, Bobby. Thank you very much. Always enjoy doing these things with you. Uh, we always come up with some interesting topics, even though it's the off season. You and I not taking any days off. No, no, no days off. No you know, days we're, off. We're still, we're still here. We're going to be churning everything out, making sure we, we've got good, go- good content ready for you guys. And we're going to, you know, obviously we, we're going to get to your Twitter questions like we do every week. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the guys that could surprise and have breakout years this year. But the first thing that was on my mind this week was the Terry McLaurin news. Yep. And the potential impact that that could have on CD Lamb's future. Um, uh, you know, McLaurin gets a three-year extension for $70 million. It's $23.3 million annually, uh, 34.5 guaranteed at signing. He gets $53 million total guaranteed. And the reason why McLaurin, I think, is a good comp for CeeDee Lamb or somebody for us to look at is because McLaurin's obviously within the division. Um, McLaurin has played with five different starting quarterbacks his yes. first two years. Yeah. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's played with five different starting quarterbacks within his first two years. Obviously, a big chunk of that was his rookie year. Um, but then when you look at their numbers, they're incredibly close. CeeDee Lamb's first two seasons, 153 receptions, 2,037 yards, 11 touchdowns. Terry McLaurin, 145 receptions, 2037 yards, 11 touchdowns. So identical on the yards and touchdowns, pretty close on the receptions. And when you look at the way that agents tend to negotiate deals, like like the the way they look at something that's that's a market setter or this or that, I think a lot of people look at that and go, you know, okay, well, this guy just set the market, so the next guy is going to go a little above it, but they don't really they're, they're kind of guessing as to to how far above it that they go. Um, typically, the way agents like to do it is the average annual value as new money as a percentage of the salary cap. So Terry McLaurin making 23.3 million annually would be 11.2% of this year's salary cap. And so the line of thinking would be if Lamb and McLaurin have so closely married or ch- married each other these first two years that CeeDee Lamb, if you were to about equal what McLaurin did in his third year, which was 77 receptions, 1,053 yards, five touchdowns, 
then and if the salary cap were to jump up to about 220 million about 10 to 12 million dollars like it reliably has done outside of the covid year then in 2023 when cd lamb becomes eligible for an extension the floor for his market would be set at roughly 24.6 million annually or 98.5 million over four years and if he performs above terry mclaurin's production his market at that point would likely go up as a higher percentage of the cap. And at that point, you're looking more at like 26 and a half million annually or 106 million over four years. So potentially a steep payday for the Cowboys that they're going to have to pay. But how much of that do you think is dependent on what does CD Lamp do this year? Or do you think they've resigned themselves to this is our guy, this is our number one, and we're going to have to pay him. It just remains to be seen how much that is. Yeah, I was interested though. What do you think about like the fifth year option though? Does that do anything to your numbers? Um, it would just in the sense of like how it would be spread out over five years because sure. you would trigger the fifth year option. So you'd have the fourth year and the fifth year and then you tack on three extension years to yeah. it. Um, that was one of the things that the Cowboys didn't get the benefit of in, in getting the DAC deal done when they did. Right. Was that they didn't do it before his rookie contract ran up. So they couldn't massage the numbers right. with that extra year. And he wasn't a first round pick. So they right. couldn't do it over that. That's why when you heard that Ezekiel Elliott's extension was six years, it was actually became an eight-year deal because he already had the fifth-year option triggered on it. And so it was the two remaining years on the contract. So it, it would make it a five-year extension if he got three years tacked onto it or a you know basically a six-year deal if he got four years tacked onto it. So that could massage it, but what would be relevant in the negotiation would be how much new money are you getting, not right. averaged out over the other stuff. And so that's what you'd probably be looking at is by year six, he's probably making around $26.5 million annually if he performs at all above where Terry McLaurin is. So do you think that they're at a point, though, where they're like, this is our guy, he's going to be here for a long time, and it's just at this point us figuring out how much is he going to earn? Yeah, I, I think there's always going to be things that the Cowboys are looking at when it comes to their cap. And and Stephen Jones, Adam Pacifica, Todd Williams, all those guys that deal with the cap every day, they talk about the spreadsheets and how far out they can project things. And you know, I think the the things that I was able to gather, and not so much about with CeeDee Lamb, but with like Amari Cooper and others that they had to kind of deal with, you know, his salary and stuff, that pandemic really hurt them on their numbers, on mm-hmm. what they were going to. They had those things projected out to almost the penny, but then you don't get the growth of the cap and others like they projected. So... I wonder now if we're going to, if we back to that point where things are going to be back to being caught up, you know, and, and then that, that the value is there. And I, I, you know, to me, I don't know if the Cowboys are going to be willing to pay CD lamb $26 million a year. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And, and, you know, but all this changes, all this changes, if CeeDee Lamb has the type of year that we think that, that he's capable of. I you know, I I've, coming out of the draft, I thought he was the best receiver in the draft. But then you look at, you know, some of the others and you know, especially the kid up in Minnesota, Jefferson, you know, I mean, they've had he's had a better so far, I think yeah. a better, you know, I would say a better career, but maybe it has to do with these quarterbacks and stuff you're talking about. I I wonder, though, I really, really, really wonder if the Cowboys are really going to be interested in paying $26 million a year to CeeDee Lamb. 
So I know people look at it and they go, well, you, you gave up your, you know, uh, you, you gave up Amari Cooper because you thought 20 million was too much. So, right. so what's 26 and a half? That, that's, that's even more. So again, when you look at percentage of the cap, the cap in 2019 was 182 million. So when he got that extension that averaged out to 20 million annually, right. uh, what that essentially did was gave Amari Cooper about a little under 11% of the cap. And so you've got a little bit of natural inflation growth that gives McLaurin 11.2 over that. Yeah. But but you can pretty reliably see how teams like to or how agents like to negotiate these deals is like, look, that's how we're going to judge how much the inflation you is. Think, on this. Do you think that 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 CD's agents representation is looking at Terry McLaurin's deal as the the benchmark, right? That's now the for- floor for them, I think. Yeah, as a, as in terms of the negotiating so tactic of eleven point two percent, you actually think that Ceedee Lamb will make more than what Terry McLaurin is making? If he goes at all above McLaurin in his production this year, in his third year, which again McLaurin was seventy seven oh, receptions, no, the thousand. numbers are similar. So I mean, if he goes above it, then like if he just equals it, and, and that's about where he is, then it's very easy to point and say, look, these are the the same guys in terms of their production. So that's the starting point is going to be so the you McLaurin. Think Dallas, you think Dallas is going to start at the floor? I, I think Dallas is going to try and start under that naturally. Yeah. They'll probably go a little bit above it with the idea that they're probably going to settle in around McLaurin's range. And if he goes at all above McLaurin, people then they'll say, look, this was the standard. This is who he mirrored. And he took an even bigger step up right. in year three. This is what you need to pay him. So that's how I think that CD side will, will try to negotiate that. I just kind of feel like that this day and age, and we've seen these receiver numbers explode, you know, it's amazing, you know, how it's all developed. But, you know, to me, I wonder if teams are going to start to look at this and say, we can't give receivers $26 million, $28 million. There's so many of them in the Every year, Bobby, we work on the draft. Mm-hmm. My draft board is so receiver heavy, you know, and I'm like, okay, is, you know, is it worth paying a guy when maybe you have – two or three guys on that board that you would absolutely love to have. I, I wonder if you're going to get to, I wonder if it's good allocations of funds. And you and I had this discussion on the radio uh, on today, on Thursday mm-hmm. uh, about that, that whole situation about, you know, you know, paying guys and stuff like that, especially, you know, with, when you, when it comes to, you know, like positions like wide receivers and then the numbers that you have in the drafts. Yeah. And, and I know some people gave us some feedback out there that said, y'all are pocket watching. It's not your money. It's like, okay, I'm not talking about it's my money, but yeah. also look, you got to remember that there's a limit on what they can spend. So right. it's, it's a question of not, should he get paid this? It's more a question of like, is that what you want to pay that sort of allocation to this guy when you're going to need to fill other positions and, right. and pay for other positions? Right. Is that how you want to, is that the best use of your your resources and also it's not so much that we're saying you can't do this or can't do it's it's more also just trying to mirror like this is the the types of arguments that the cowboys are going to try and make in these discussions and that they're going to push back against but you know i think you're right in terms of do they want to pay him 26 and a half million or or do they want to keep paying these receivers probably not but again i think the agents would push back on that and go we're looking at a percentage here yeah it's 26 but you got to remember the cap's gone up you guys have routinely over the years paid top tier receivers this chunk but but i think you're right in terms of there was a time where running backs got paid more of a percentage too and they eventually reached it and went this isn't a a use of our resources so we're 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 correcting the market here well i I think that maybe you're in a situation too where you look at these wide receivers and 
they're getting paid. But what is, as they're getting paid, what if they do have continued success? What if all of a sudden, what, you know, like the running backs, the money that they were getting, you saw the production for the running backs start to dwindle. Mm-hmm. And so the justification of paying a running back was probably not in the best interest. But all of a sudden, if, if Hill and Adams and all these guys that are getting paid, yeah, all of a sudden, if they continue on the production that they've had, maybe I'll be absolutely wrong. And, and you know, and if again, if if Lamb is one of those guys that's the production is there, mm-hmm. you know, or is growing, then maybe you know, maybe the justifications of twenty six million dollars, you know, might be an absolute deal. Well, and uh, remember, they they reached a point where tackles were getting or or, you know edge rushers would get paid a certain amount or or tackles would get paid a certain amount and then it was it it became an argument on the flip side too where it's like i'm the guy that's tasked with going against that guy whether it be edge rushers are getting paid a bunch of money the tackles need to be mirrored since they are on an island playing against these guys or you know the tackles are getting paid a bunch of money i'm an edge rusher that's paid to try and do i need to be paid see along those and that's where i think the corner market's going to start doing the same and eventually teams are going to go like we're going to have to start these rising receiver rates that have mirrored rising quarterback rates because it's quarterback throws to receiver. Eventually it's going to come around on the other side and it's going to go, well, these are the corners tasked with stopping these guys. If you're really good at it, you need to be paid like those guys. And I think that's where you're going to eventually see a correction. The quarterback market will never correct, but the receiver market might see, but that's what I'm saying though. When you look at the cornerback market, you know, and the guys like Ramsey and stuff like that, you know, highly paid guys, first round players, but think about a lot of these cornerbacks that have been paid. Mm-hmm. Are they all first-round guys? No. See, that's what I'm saying. To me, I wonder if the receivers are going to be the same way. I wonder if it's going to be, we don't have to pay this receiver because we got a guy in the second or third or fourth round that we really, really like. Yeah, and, and you can find quarterbacks in, in other rounds, and people have. Dak, well, yeah. Russell Wilson. Well, cornerbacks, too. Cornerbacks, yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. Corner, yeah, cornerbacks as well. I think the... That's part of the reason why the quarterback market will never correct those because you can't easily find them. Right. Whereas receivers, you're seeing more and more. That's the talent that the college level is producing, and, and so that, see that's what I was asking. I think maybe mm-hmm. you misunderstood me. No, I was saying I was saying cornerback. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Cornerback, not mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that that's kind of where you know if, if these receivers, if it, if every time we look up and there's five first round wide receivers and there's six second round wide receivers mm-hmm. and there's eight third round wide receivers. I mean, I think that teams are going to say we're finding guys that are just as capable because the development of these guys, you know, now with the way college is throwing high school football, the way it is, mm-hmm. the way the, you know, the way the high schools are throwing the football, these receivers, it used to be that receivers were the hardest to the, the it was the hardest to get them, uh, going the learning curve was the was the steepest. Yep. Because of route running and you know catching and traffic and all that stuff, that's not the case anymore. No. A lot the, of these the receivers are mirroring. Uh, you know, let's let's see what happens with Tolbert. Mm-hmm. You know that we, you know the the rookie out of South Alabama. Let's see what happens with him. All of a sudden, you know, maybe you get a situation like it's a Terry McLaurin and you're you know a second, third, fourth round pick. And then you're like, boom, you're hitting it. And you're like, well, okay, why do we have to pay C.D. Lamb $26 million? You know, I, I, I think that, I think though, as long as the production is there, that, that these receivers are going to continue to get paid. It may, it's not, I don't think it, 
It might not drop off like we've seen with running back at all. Specifically, uh, really quickly here, just as we wrap up this topic, what does you think being the number one receiver mean for CeeDee Lamb this year? Is this more time outside? Is he running a different route tree? I mean, he's probably getting different coverages, more safety help. Uh, in regards, first off, to, to where he's playing, he was in the slot for 621 snaps in 2020. That was 84.7% of his snaps. The The raw snap number in the slot was second in the NFL. Um, he was in the slot for just 269 snaps in 2021. That was 32.3%, and he was 25th in the NFL. So so they already started moving him outside a lot more last year, and that's per playerprofile.com or playerprofiler.com. Uh, what do you think the move to number one looks like for CeeDee Lamb? Is it just volume of targets, or are we looking at a, a different route tree, or what do you think that looks like? I think that you're going to actually see him play – I think you're going to see him play at a couple different spots. I don't think you're going to see him just the high volume and just playing a slot. I think you're going to see him on the outside as well. So, you know, it's up to Kellen Moore and Doug Nussmeyer and this crew to find ways to get him involved. I've been screaming all along about if you watched him play at Oklahoma and how he was able to make plays on the move. You know, I would go back. If I was Kellen Moore, I would go back and watch his tape of how Lincoln Riley used him. Because he was a dynamic player in college football. Mm-hmm. And you could say, oh, well, the Big 12, they don't cover anybody, that kind of thing. No, they created ways to get him open. And I think some of the OTA practice, minicamp practices, you've seen him with more, the, the practices he's involved in, the usage has been like the option routes, the quick in and out, you know, kinds of breaking routes. It looks different. It's looked different. So my hope is that they find a way to kind of, you know, what we see with Cooper Cup, inside, outside, right, left, wherever you have to play to get him free, go do that. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. Uh, of course, Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. It can be found on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, now the other thing I, I want to jump into with you here, and, and you know, we just got done talking about CeeDee Lamb and his impact. I want to talk about some of the biggest candidates on the Cowboys roster for a breakout season, at least in my opinion, and, and get some of your thoughts on, on to some of those players. For you, I, one of the guys for me that stands out is, is going to be James Washington. Um, that's a guy who, who he flashed in his second season with Pittsburgh. He, he caught 44 passes, 735 yards. That put him at almost 17 yards per reception. And you saw a guy in that second season who fit the the profile that he had coming out of Oklahoma State, which people were like, this is a guy who he's going to be that back end of the route tree. You know, the posts, corners, go routes. This is a guy who's who's going to be able to challenge defenses. Even though he was a 4-5-4 four, four type of speed guy, you just saw it with the way he could, you know, sell his routes and then that speed he had on the back half of his 40-yard dash, like the long speed that he had. Um, it was a guy who's expected to make an impact down the field. Uh, and his play really declined over the last two years. He caught just 24 passes on 44 targets for 285 yards in 2021. But 
Uh, Sports Info Solutions, and I had tip to the website 444 that picked this up. Sports Info Solutions charted his 44 targets, and 28 of those were graded as catchable. So that gave him an adjusted catch percentage of 85%. He was a reliable target for them when the ball was where it was supposed to be. Sure. So uh, as a guy who's expected to be a vertical threat and, and challenge defenses and put pressure on them down the field, Pittsburgh's offense, the issues they had at quarterback last season, it really didn't allow him to be that guy. You saw it early on, and I think the, the fact that you didn't see it in recent years was more a reflection of what the Steelers were and what Ben Roethlisberger was and what Mason Rudolph was at times whenever he was in there. Um, so that's a guy who... He'll be in contention along with Jalen Tolbert. I think until Michael Gallup gets back, you'll see James Washington running some of those deeper routes like they like to send Gallup on. Right. So I think there's going to be a chance early on for James Washington to as- James Washington to like assert his presence and show I can be this guy. Yeah, I think to me with Washington, and I think you're absolutely right. And th- the numbers that you're presenting it makes a lot of sense. All you had to do is watch the Steelers last year and watch the struggles that they had at quarterback. You know, and with Washington, yeah, I will say this though: the Steelers generally do a great job of drafting wide receivers, mm-hmm. and they generally play very, very well. I would have to say, for where they took him, though, and you know, obviously they let him go. So I would say that to me, does he deserve another opportunity? Does he deserve? Can he have a breakout? I think you're right about that. I think in this offensive system, I'll be interested once again, it's all about Kellen Moore and how he will find a way to use uh, use these receivers. And, you know, if he doesn't, you know, then they'll find somebody else. But with Washington, I totally get it because, again, the quarterback play with the Steelers was awful. And, you know, maybe taking advantage of Dak Prescott and the way he throws the ball, especially down the field, I think would be a, a big lift for him. Yeah, and... and uh... Does he break out? Not necessarily, but I mean, I think there there's at least evidence, there's context clues here that say James Washington could perform better here in Dallas. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's another, it would be a big check, honestly, in in the uh, column for Dak Prescott as, as, a, as an elite quarterback if he is able to help elevate James Washington. Because there's always been the talk of like, well, how does Dak make guys right. get better? And it's like, it's a little tough because they don't generally bring in outside guys for, for him to target. They, they you know, he, he did make Amari Cooper better, but a lot of people go, yeah, but that's Amari Cooper. And, right. and so I think James Washington would be a really good example of that. Um, I got a couple other names I can go through, but I'm curious, is there anybody else that stands out to you as somebody that you think like this guy could, not necessarily that they will, but like this is a guy who at least there there's some context clues or some evidence that this guy could have a breakout I'm, I'm here. Buying, I'm buying Dorrance Armstrong here. You, you and Jerry both. I really am, and I know yeah, it makes me a little nervous when the boss says that, but uh, I, I'm buying Dorrance Armstrong. I, there was a time in my life where I watched Dorrance Armstrong and watched him come out of uh, a college and thought, man, this guy has got pass rush ability. He's got the ability to win on the edge. He can attack. He can attack the pocket. He can make plays and all that. And then there would be that game where all of a sudden he'd have a sack and a half. And you're like, ah, Dorrance Armstrong gets it. There it is. And then the next four games, he would do absolutely nothing. I think Dorrance Armstrong made a huge jump in, as far as the way that he, the way he played, as far as from from you know those times where it was one game and then gone for three. Yep. I think he's I think he's developed some consistency. I think he I think he has a better feel of how to rush the passer. I think he's taken full advantage of this 
working with Dan Quinn and AD on the with the defensive line. I think that he has picked up a lot of things along the way. I expect him to have a really, really, really big season. And I, I know that people are talking about losing Randy Gregory and how bad that was. I think Dorrance Armstrong is going to step up and give you some things that Randy Gregory clearly didn't give you. Randy Gregory Ooh. gave you some pass rush. Yeah. I think Dorrance Armstrong gives you both. I think he plays the run exceptionally well, and I think he can give you the pass rush. So I feel like that you're going to get a more complete player, much like you have playing at the left defensive end when you start talking about Tank Lawrence. Play the run, rush the passer. I, I think another name uh, to consider there in terms of a guy that could break out, a, a veteran name, and that's Malik Hooker. Um, and, and Hooker was a guy, I mean, drafted by the Colts. We talked about him a little bit in the last episode. He was drafted by the Colts in 2017, and the expectation is like, this guy's going to be one of the best center fielders the NFL has because there was this rare range and there were these plus ball skills, and you, you saw him really early on in, in his career. It was like three interceptions in his first four weeks in the NFL, and then pretty quickly the bad luck with the injuries just hit. He tore his ACL and his MCL in week seven of his rookie year. Then he had knee, hip, foot injuries that kept him out at various points during the 2018 campaign, including uh, the season finale, their their playoff loss. Then he you know, has a meniscus tear that kept him out several weeks in 2019. Finally, he tears his Achilles, ending his 2020 season after just two games. So 2021 last year actually was the first year of Malik Hooker's career that he didn't miss any time due to injury. Um, he was inactive for the first game against Tampa. That was when he had missed some time in training yeah. camp getting set up with the COVID protocols. Right. So he didn't get a lot of reps. There were there was a learning curve there. So that was why he was inactive there. And then, of course, he landed on the COVID list at the end of the year. But he stayed healthy. He wasn't on the injury report missing games. And I think that was a big deal for him and a big accomplishment for him. And, and he earned the trust of Dan Quinn. You saw his snaps increase in the second half of the season. And I think you saw him turn that back, that trust back, and, and say, like, okay, that was founded trust because he's, he's playing good football for us. So the talent's always been there for him. It's just been a matter of, like, can he stay healthy? And if he can do that and experience the same sort of jump, I think, in the second year after an Achilles injury, which is always... It always happens, that, yeah. That's always the year where you see the production. Yes. It yeah. usually takes about two years. And I think that fits why you saw in the second half of the season he was playing better, too, is that he's yeah. slowly getting... that. That's an injury that takes some time to come back from. So Cowboys rewarded him with a two-year deal, and I, I think that that's somebody who will have a real chance to show, all right, I'm the guy that you guys thought I was when I was picked in 2017. Yeah, and I'll add one more guy here real quick is Jabril Cox. I think Jabril Cox, I mean, you know, they, they, were, they were gaining trust with him, and then he got hurt. And watching him on the side there work, uh, you know, I feel like that he's getting – Britt Brown's doing a great job of working. The kid's a hard worker. He's a really, he's a very good athlete. He can cover the tackling part part of it. I think that that, that that's gonna that's gonna improve for him. But I think the more work he gets, the more reps he gets, the more opportunity he gets. I think you're gonna have a pretty special player. I, I know watching him play at LSU, I was super super happy to see when the Cowboys drafted him. But I, I'll say this though, coming off that knee is gonna be tough. But I, I kind of feel like that he's a guy that's gonna show. Uh, the type of player that he is, uh, you know, once he gets back in the mix. Yeah, I think I think Jabril Cox has a, a great because you remember he he flashed uh, before he got hurt. There was no question about it. Yeah. He started getting those opportunities. The, the Cowboys. You remember Jerry and Steven really saw what a great job the scouting staff yeah. had done, and, yeah. and they went, "Man, look what we got with Micah, and look yeah. what we got with these guys." 
let's start getting some of these other guys opportunity. Yeah. And that's what pushed Jalen Smith out the door was honestly the performance of other rookies other that made him say, well, let's yeah, see what exactly. this guy yeah. is since the scouting staff believed in him so much. And that was warranted. You saw him make big play against the Giants. Yeah. Um, a big we knocked Daniel, Daniel Jones, Jones yeah. out of the game and yeah. it, it really effectively ended any type of offense that the Giants had that day. Absolutely. And and so you saw a lot of encouraging signs early on from him. And then he just, he got hurt, unfortunately. But if he can be healthy, absolutely. That's a guy that I think they're they're counting on big things from. Uh, another guy for me, and, and you know, there will be some competition there inside, but Oso Digizua, a guy who he came out playing with his hair on fire last year. He had the six quarterback hits, three tackles for loss, two sacks in his first seven games of the season. And he was consistently disrupting things. I've told you this story on the air. I know we've talked about it a little bit. I had somebody from another team like text me, another defensive lineman who was prepping to play the Cowboys yeah. in a few weeks. And he's like, who is this 97? He's a badass. Mm-hmm. Like He's like, that guy's just like the motor doesn't stop. He's... He's, he's super athletic. He, you know, he's got some pretty good pass rush moves for how young he is. So other people around the league were taking notice of Odigizua. And then the production tapered off a lot in the second half of the season. But I think that was that, you know, just the proverbial rookie wall. Um, I mean, you could tell the Cowboys took notice of it. Dan Quinn took notice of it because Odigizua was playing 62% of the snaps the first 10 games of the season was producing. And then right as his production Happens, tapered yeah, off, yeah. they pulled back his snaps and he was yeah. playing under 50 percent yeah the he rest got of the wore way. down yeah and and i think that that's normal yeah. for a lot of these guys i mean the 10 games that's about what you're gonna end up playing right. in a season in college if, if you're going to a program 10 to 12 um unless you get into the playoffs or, or you've got a couple bowl games but i think that and odiggy zua i think he looks in great shape out there um i i think that once he's going to be able to get past just that issue of the fatigue the burnout I think you're only going to see him improve. The only thing that may get in the way of, of him having a big breakout year is is something you've talked about this week on the radio, which is the Chauncey Golston effect. Like, how right. much is Chauncey Golston potentially yeah. going to eat into those snaps? Yeah, I hope this isn't a thing where Chauncey Golston is going to be, oh, he's going to play three technique, and wait a minute, the, the three techniques are playing well. we got to move him back to defensive end because – you know, as a backup guy. Iron Crawford disease. Yeah, you know, keep moving a guy around. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that there really is some good competition there. I'm going to add one more guy to my list. And this is going to maybe sound funny. I think Tyler Biotish is going to be a better player this year. I think that's year. a good call. And, you know, and I, I kind of feel like there was some struggle early in the campaign last year, the first eight games. Even though they were playing better, there was some struggle there with him. And I think that in the second half of the season, he became more comfortable with what's going on. And we had a chance to interview him on 105.3, the fan. And I really like the mindset that he's got right now. Physically, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's a really good athlete. He's, you know, if you thought he was going to be Travis Frederick because he went to Wisconsin and all that stuff, that 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 wasn't going to happen. Right. But I think he's going to be better playing inside. Yeah, and I think that one of the, the key things with Biotish and the thing that I think he's probably worked on this offseason, the big question for them, I think, is... Let's get him better in the classroom. Let's get him better recognizing yeah. some of these things uh, at the line of scrimmage and and being able to make the right calls. That I think is their biggest concern. I think they feel good about how he's coming along with his technique and 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 you know even though it may not be leaps and bounds, I think they see steady progress in, in other yeah. areas with him. That's just the one area where I think they're like, man, this is lacking a little bit. We we'd like to see him be more of the quarterback of the offensive line, right. like Travis Frederick was. Not necessarily be Travis Frederick. But, but show us a little bit something else there. Uh, you're listening to the Love of the Star podcast. Of course, Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast, and uh, it can be found on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, because I'm sure wherever you're listening to this right now, you, you got it somehow, whether that's Odyssey or otherwise. So uh, we appreciate you tuning in, and uh, hopefully you can give us a uh, rate and review and, and continue to listen. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, let's finish things up here as we normally do, uh, getting some of the questions off of Twitter, do some some mailbag with the listeners. Uh, they sent us some really great questions this week. I, I want to get the first one out of the way uh, from at HitStickMaster2. It doesn't have a name. It just says HitStick or HitStick. HitStick, all right. Yeah, yeah, so he's asking, do you think the Cowboys were picking Sam Williams day two no matter what? Did that have any bearing on passing on a defender in round one? Yeah, I kind of felt like that once Dan Quinn – went to Oxford, Mississippi for that pro day. And I I, I I, mean, that was, everybody was talking about, oh, maybe third round guy, third round guy, third round guy. And I'm like, man, no. Mm-mm. No, Dan, if they draft an offensive lineman in the first round, which they did, you knew that probably there was going to be a defender in the second round. And I knew Dan Quinn was going to go in there and fight for a guy. Yeah. You know, especially with them losing Randy Gregory the way they did. So, does it does it did it affect? No, I don't think it did. I think they I think they had it. You know, all all along they had that guy in mind. Yeah, I think so. And I remember we were talking about it on the draft show, which Brian and I uh, did draft coverage for DallasCowboys.com and one hundred five through the fan. We were talking about it live in the moment leading up to that pick, where it was like, I think they probably knew they were reaching a little bit where they picked him, and maybe sure. they maybe maybe well, they didn't probably great. think they were going to get him coming back that's, around. That's exactly yeah. it. I yeah. think I think they probably viewed him as like this is a two three guy. He's going to fall. We pick in the fifties, and then we pick again yeah. at eighty eight or whatever. They this guy get will yeah. get picked at seventy. Yeah. So if we want him, we got to get him now. Um, and so I think that you know they get they left little clues for you about that in the pre-draft press conferences right. where Stephen talked about look it's a little light in the first rounders and second rounders right. but once we get deeper in the draft the value gets it. so you knew they were going to have to reach a little bit but I, I agree I think they pretty much knew they were coming out yeah. of this draft with Sam Williams absolutely and yep. so I think that that was a once a, once it Dan went to that workout I felt like that yeah. was going to be the case once Dan went to the workout once Randy Gregory left here because I think if yeah. Randy Gregory's here you may not have picked may him. not but, may not, but yeah. once Randy Gregory was gone once Quinn was that and Quinn talked about during rookie minicamp like after he worked him out he was like man he told them like man I sure would like this guy yeah and, and the scouts give a lot of latitude and respect to Dan, Dan Quinn's Quinn, opinion. Absolutely, yeah. And so I, I think once Dan Quinn said that, it was probably like, all right, this is a pretty good bet that, that he's going to be a Cowboy. Uh, next question here. Uh, let's go to Mario. Mario says, can you guys predict which and how many defensive linemen make this roster? It's going to be a tough positional battle, and we can expect a surprise cut or two. So typically, well, ten, what right? we, eight to ten, I yeah, think. It's, depending. it's usually six ends, four tackles. So, I mean, I could see him carrying as few as nine. So, I've, I've got uh, the list here. So, let's try and figure it out if it's eight to ten. Brian, we've got at the ends, I've got Dorrance Armstrong, Terrell Basham, Dante Fowler, Demarcus Lawrence, Sam Williams. So, you got five ends. Yeah. I mean, there are other guys on the roster, but we're sure. talking about realistically right now. 
Uh, you got five guys who I think are just pure tackles. Quentin Bohanna, Neville Gallimore, Tristan Hill, Oso Digizua, John Ridgway, Chauncey Golston, or uh, John Ridgway ends there. And then I think you've got hybrid guys who could play inside, outside. That's yeah. Golston and Watkins. Right. So when we look at that, what are we going to say? We're going to say, obviously, Demarcus Lawrence is here. We're going to say Sam Williams is here. Yep. Dorrance Armstrong. Yep. Do we want to say Sam Fowler is for sure, or Dante Fowler is for sure here? I think that Dante Fowler is going to show enough to maybe be a guy they keep, maybe as that last guy as a designated pass rusher. So, so we want to say he's on for I now? I would say he's okay, on. Okay, he's yeah. on. Uh, now, maybe he might be a guy because he's a vested veteran mm-hmm. that they cut and they know they're going to bring back. Yeah, kind that of a could thing, happen. You know, to, to, to save a roster spot. Yeah, I mean, this is the third time that he and Dan Quinn have partnered up, so Quinn yeah. clearly has an yeah. affinity for he him. Does. Uh, the last end there, Basham, do we want to come back to him or do we want to say he's gone? I think Basham might be gone. I okay. We'll we'll come back and see where we get the rest of it. Bohanna's here or no? I think he's here. Sixth rounder, okay. Neville Gallimore? Here. Here. Tristan Hill. That's gonna be a question. Flip, flip a coin, yeah. Well, we'll come back to that. Odigizua here. Here. Ridgeway. Here. Here. Okay, so we're up to four ends, four tackles for sure. Golston's obviously here. Yep. That's nine. Is Carlos Watkins for sure here? See, that's the one I would kind of keep an eye on. So well. I think we're down to Basham, Hill, and Watkins. Yeah. That one more spot for them. And I would bet, just me personally, I think Watkins being flexible like he is. I think so too. And Parsons being a stand-up rusher who can act as a fifth rusher. I go. think that's the end of Basham and Hill. I do. Personally. I've done that, yep. All right, good question. Appreciate that, Mario. Uh, next question for you, and this is from uh, Ben Matthews. Who's the next player to get an extension? So... I think we both agree it's not going to be Dalton Schultz. No. So I, I don't think Dalton Schultz is going to get the deal that he wants here. The guys eligible for extensions now who are going to be like, you know, who are considered contributors, Tony Pollard, okay. Connor McGovern, Donovan Wilson, a sneaky one because it's only been two years in the league, but he was undrafted. So he's a restricted free agent. So after two years, you can sign an extension. That's Terrence Steele. Okay. And then if, if you don't think it's any of those guys, then the next extension would be after the season, and that's when you get into Lamb, Diggs, Gallimore, and Biotish. And so I'm going to say my low-key one, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a call right now. I'm going to say at some point in camp, they try and get a, a, a nice discount on a guy they're projecting out. I'm going to say they, they get steel done sometime. I, I like what you're doing because they probably feel like they can get way ahead of that yeah. right now. Now, now the you know, benefit they do have there, the only thing that would prevent it down a little bit is he is a restricted free agent. So they would have some control if right, he ran out of his contract. Right. But I could see them definitely. They got ahead of Lyle Collins when, when he was yeah, a restricted that, free exactly. agent. Exactly, yeah. So I could see them going like, hey, let's cut a deal now. Let's get him paid. And and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It worked great, obviously, with Tyron Smith. Didn't work so great in terms of trying to get ahead of Tyrone Crawford right. when they got his deal done. Right, but they were thinking about him as a three technique. Yeah. You know, that's what they were. Marinelli was thinking about him playing that that uh, coveted position in that front. Now, I know you've spoken about how you think, how highly they think of just the toughness and everything of else of Donovan Wilson. Do you yeah. think they'd get, try and get something done early, or do you think they just let it play out and, and revisit I think it they, I think that it, I think it maybe throws some chum in the water there and see if you can get that. I think he's I think he's a guy that they really like. I don't think he's a guy that plays particularly deep well, mm-hmm. but everything in front of him, the toughness, the tackling, that, that that linebacker position, that you know, hybrid player down in the box, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's a situation. I think that I think that you know, he's got to stay healthy though. He's one of those guys that's kind of been a little bit off and on with the health and stuff. Yeah. So I, I think and it's that, a lot of different things. It's yeah. not like one. It's nagging not injury. one thing. Yeah. It's always something kind of nagging with him. Yeah. Uh, Joe T asks us, he says, seemed like Dak held the ball the second half of last year because he didn't trust the receivers were open even when they were. Did you see it that way also? Brian, I, I, 
I personally, I know uh, you, I think you've got a little bit different perspective. I don't think it was so much. He doesn't trust their open right. last year. I think he was in his head about getting hit again yeah. because I think he'd just been so banged up. He had the, the broken ankle. Then he had the shoulder injury. Then he gets the calf strain. It's like, man, this is three injuries in eight weeks of play, basically yeah. eight weeks of time on the field. And I think you saw some like concern about getting hit. Hesitation. Like, like, yeah. Like I can't get knocked out again. And I think that was kind of in his head a little bit. That's why I think he missed them more than just, it was like, Oh, he doesn't see them. But I think there was just some hesitation and concern about where defenses were, especially when the line wasn't blocking well. And I, I hope that's something that's been fixed. Over I'd like to go season. back and count how many sacks he had near or like a yard behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It seemed like to me, there were a lot of really like he was, if he would have just ran for four or five yards, there wouldn't have been a sack, but there was that little bit of hesitation there. Yeah, and I think if you want to see a play where I think you just – it doesn't seem like Dak, where it's like there's something off yeah. that Cole Holcomb interception in the game in Washington where they almost yeah. – where it's like, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? What are you, seeing? Are you yeah. doing? Like, this is, this is so unlike you. Uh, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking. Uh, oh, it's yeah, like, it's, it looked like he had some shorter sacks last year. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I mean, he, he was sacked 30 times for 144 yards, but you look back at, like – when he was sacked 23 times in 2019, it was for more yardage. It was 151. So it does look like he was See, I, I felt like that Dak was just either like he was afraid to leave the pocket mm-hmm. or it was like he just was unsure that the guys were really, really open. Which it's it's obviously just summer practices and we'll get to see more. It's different once the pads come on and you're runs. worried about getting hit again. He, he, lo- he looked yeah. like he's moving better. I think he's going to run. I think we're going to see... To me, when I watch Dak Prescott play, he's at his absolute best. I've said this on the radio a bunch. When he's at his absolute best is when he's physically into the game, when he feels mm-hmm. a hit, when he feels a tackle, when he runs into a guy. Yeah. You know, when he's kind of like not really, you know, kind of tentative a little bit, I don't think he's as good a quarterback. But when he's in the flow of the game, like, okay, I, I, I see what's going on here. I feel like he's a better player. Yeah. So. Like, I mean, if, if and that's that can explain some of the frustrations we saw in the second half of the year is that if Dak Prescott needs to get physical to get the game going, yeah. and he's at a point where he's concerned that physicality might... Well, okay. and, and not out yeah. of... Like, I want to be clear. Not, not that not I think... Not running over people. Well, but, well, no. You know, he's like... Going for yards, bumping into just people, breaking a tackle. Yeah. yeah, feeling a game. Yeah, and, and I think that I want to be clear that when I say he was concerned about getting hit, I don't think it was in a sense of like, oh, I don't want to get hurt. Like it was yeah. fear. I think it was more like I can't afford to be knocked out. And right. like we can't be without right. me. Right. And, and I think that that just caused him to get in his head a little bit the same way it did after Atlanta yeah. when he got sacked those, those tons of times yeah. by Adrian Claiborne. I think that got in his head a little bit. Um, okay, next question here. Uh, Matthew Brown, can the new wide receivers coach, who is Robert Prince, uh, elevate the game of CD? We talked a lot about CD yeah. early on. How much uh, say does the wide receiver coach have in routes and formations being placed in the game plan? I know that they've always said it's a collaborative effort, and, right. and, and I, I, I'm i curious to see how much of that Robert Prince has. I, I know that a big part of why Robert Prince here is the juice, Yep, and and, and it's, it's trying to create a more alpha energy out of that room. Yep. And so, I think, I in, think, in your experience, do wide receiver coaches have a, a bigger stance? Oh, no, they the absolutely they do. And, you know, because they're the ones when the coordinator's talking about, you know, okay, what can we do down the red zone or what can mm-hmm. we do in, 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 you know, normal down and distance? You know, the receiver coach is the one saying, listen, put this guy in the game to run this route. You know, we were talking about option routes and stuff like that. 
you know, the receiver coach knows what his guys can do. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they're a big, big part of what the game plan is. I think they're a big, big part of the confidence too of the guys running the routes. Yeah, you know, and the way those routes are being taught. That notorious game in Philadelphia where people are like it's fourth down. Where's Amari Cooper? Why yeah. is he not on the field? That was a situation where yep. the receivers coach was making the rotation and held him out. Yep, absolutely. And so I, I mean, they they definitely do have it, or at least did in the Jason Garrett era. And that was with Kellen Moore, obviously, as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Randall Walker says, are we seeing a shift in offensive philosophy with nonchalance towards receiver and focus on the offensive line? Instead of Team 40-burger, it seems like it's now play defense and control the time possession with the run instead of flinging the ball around for 400 they yards. They don't run the ball well enough. No, they don't. They, they don't do- have balance. Yeah, That's the problem is, you know, I think, I think the thing, if you really want to help Dak Prescott, have balance, you know? Yep. And I'm not saying be run heavy on first down and all that. But staying ahead of the chains is always a big thing with the Cowboys. Yep. You know, and that's something with with Dak because then you could play into other things with him. Mm-hmm. You know, you put Dak in that second and 12, second and 13, whatever. That's a little bit – that's different for any quarterback. Right. But for Dak, I think it's it's painfully it, – it hurts him to have to deal with that stuff. So, to me, I'm not saying run first down, run second down, and throw the ball in third down. I'm just saying – have better balance, try and get, you know, four, four and a half yards of carry and stay ahead of the chains the best you can. Yeah, and I don't know that that whole, obviously, the team. Philadelphia has changed their, their game yes, plan. Yes, Tennessee. Tennessee. Changed, that, Tennessee's are, always been a run-heavy team. Yep. Look what they did in Philadelphia. They're losing because their quarterback couldn't throw the football. Yep. And what did they do? They went run-heavy the second half. Read option. And that's what they did, yep. and they won games. Yep. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to adjust to your quarterback. And and I don't know that I don't know that the Cowboys ever it was like our philosophy is we we're going to score 40 points and outscore. Uh, I don't I don't know that that was their philosophy. I just when they picked CD Lamb, it was like this is the best player on the board and we're following the but we can't pass up the sixth ranked player. Yeah. So I think a lot of what happened there for them was just that that was following their board and it just so happened that they were then loaded at receiver right. and it's a three receiver league i don't think they ever consciously set out to like let's run and gun and shoot you know put yeah. 50 points up on the board it was good for half the season last year though and and even if that's the case even if you wanted to say if if you want to score 40 points a game and yeah. run and gun you're gonna need to block so i yeah. think investing in the offensive line is just critical for whatever they want to do on offense if they want to run the ball if they want to throw it around whatever they're gonna need to have the offensive line stabilized the, this year. the the productivity of Dak and also the running backs is on this offensive line. And it's also on the play caller as well. Yeah, I agree. And that's why there's also a lot of pressure on the offensive line coach, yeah, exactly. uh, Joe Philbin. All right, last question here from uh, Brent Gann. Why is the front office sitting on all this cap space instead of using it to sign some linebacker or swing tackle or wide receiver depth? It's maddening. The team could easily get better if they spend even a little bit. Maybe we've talked about this. Maybe they reevaluate some things after the first week of camp and say, "Oh, we're we're deficient here." I think Let's so. Get yeah, I think so. I think part of the the issue here is also though they're looking to roll cap space. Yeah, I, I think you know th- that's what they've well, done in the past. They they've kept some cap space to roll it over to the next year. Some of these veterans could be unrealistic of what they're asking for right now. Too. Yes, yes. You know, Anthony Barr, the linebacker. I was hearing some stuff about him wanting more than eleven million dollars. Slow down, Anthony. Yep, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you guys listening uh, again. Uh, this is the Love the Star. Uh, you can find us on Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we will be back again with you on Tuesday. We're doing these up until the season starts on on Fridays and Tuesdays. Uh, and then once the season starts, we're going to be bringing it to you three times a week. Uh, but Brian, I enjoyed it, man. 
I enjoyed it too, Bobby. Let's uh, we'll rally, get some more info, and come back and, and see everybody. Well, we'll do it again. Love the questions too, Bobby. Yeah, yes, love those. Keep sending those in. Yeah. Uh, for Brian Bo- Broadus, I am Bobby Belt. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next time.